We'll sit back and, um, and relax, take a load off, unwind. Um, if you snuck in late or in case you, uh, you missed it, uh, my name's Chris. I'm one of the communicators here at Beyond. And if you're joining us um, today, uh, as I said earlier, we're actually in part two of a series that we've been doing called Building Blocks. And um, in case you have no idea um, what that series is, whoops, there we go. Uh, let, me, let me bring you up to speed because the reason that we've been, we've been doing this series and we've been exploring this series is simply because of this. Um, we all have building blocks in our lives. At some level, at some, uh, to some extent, each and every single one of us have building blocks in our lives. We might not call them that, you might not call them that, uh, but when I start to talk about them, you'll sort of know and you'll be like, oh yeah, no, I kind of do have those because um, we have them in our marriages, we have them in our friendships, we have them in our workplaces, um, in your marriage one of the building blocks might be trust. Uh, in your marriage, one of the, the building blocks might be intimacy. Uh, it might be honesty. And there are these foundational pieces that you kind of say, you know, these are the things that need to be in order if we're going to have a, a fantastic marriage, if we're going to have a great relationship. Uh, maybe in, in your friendships, it's, uh, it's uh, maybe one of the building blocks is things that you have in common, right? Because you just aren't friends with people. You, maybe you don't have, like it's, like, it's really hard to generate a friendship with someone you have nothing in common with. Uh, maybe it's that you want to have fun. That's one of the building blocks of a great friendship. Uh, maybe it's transparency or vulnerability. In, in, at work, you know, we, it's kind of almost like we state some of these building blocks really, really explicitly in our workplaces that we don't often do in our marriages or in our friendships. At work, it might be like a commitment to, to excellence or, or maybe it's like something like profit. That's one of the building blocks where your boss has always been like, hey, profit and excellence are really big things for us or innovation. We constantly want to be innovating. But that's one of the big foundational building blocks that you have uh, in your workplace. And while we all have building blocks in our, lo in our lives, uh, what's true is that at Beyond, you know, we, uh, we have building blocks as well. We have things that we say, hey, we're not going to compromise on. These are the kind of foundational pieces that we want to put in place as a community, as a church. And so this series, we've simply been trying to answer this question, you know, what are the building blocks of Beyond Church? Now, let me, let me kind of just clarify something, because if you're here today and you're like, you know what, I, I wouldn't really consider myself a Christian, um, or I'm kind of just exploring this whole faith thing, I picked the wrong, I picked the wrong week. Like, I picked the wrong service, because this is all about church people, right? I want to let you know that this is, um, this is a great series, even if you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus to be a part of, because in, throughout this series, we're going to have an opportunity to kind of like go behind the scenes of Church World to sort of lift the hood and look at, hey, what could church look like? What could it be like? What was it maybe designed to be like? And here's the best part, if you are not a follower of Jesus um, with this series, you don't have to apply anything I talk about. Like the, the application stuff, all the stuff we're talking about is only for church people. So you can kind of like sit back, relax, and you can kind of like, I'm just going to take it or leave it. So this is one of the best series, I think, for you to come along to as we discover, you know, what are the building blocks of Beyond Church. And, and last week, we looked at one of the building blocks. Um, we said there's, sort of, there's six building blocks or that we call values here. Um, we're only going to look at three throughout this series. And last week, we looked at one. Uh, and the one that we looked at was this, um, that we will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus. In order to reach people no one's reaching, we'll have to do things that nobody else is doing. Um, and the reason that this is so important to us, the reason that this is such a big deal for us is that beyond, while it, while it was started by church people, it was not started for church people. It was started so that people within our local community would be able to hear the hope 
and, the, and the, uh, the life that Jesus has to give in a way that there's no barriers kind of standing in between it. We sort of say that the only barrier we want for, um, to people, for people to experience between a relationship with God is Jesus because that's the one barrier we can't remove. And so uh, we said that we'll do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus in order to reach people no one's reaching. We'll have to do things that nobody is doing. And today... Today, we're kind of, I want to kind of launch our conversation to start to talk around our second building block by something that is, um, it's revolutionized my life, okay? And I know, that's, I know that's a big comment to make, but it has like literally revolutionized my life in the last week, and it is HelloFresh. Sorry, last month. HelloFresh. And if you do not know what HelloFresh is, like allow me to explain. HelloFresh is, is fantastic for people like me who are, who are like average chefs at best, okay? Um, I say I'm an average chef because like I... I feel like I'm okay if I have a recipe. But my biggest problem is if I don't have a recipe, I'm not one of those people that have that like magical ability to open the fridge and just look and be like, oh yeah, no, I can use all of these things and I'll just make something. I just can't do that. I don't know how you people do that if you've got that skill. I just cannot do it. And HelloFresh is like incredible. Because like Sunday morning, like this morning I wake up, I go to my door, there's a box, and then I open it up and inside the box there's like individual meal kits with like just the right amount of, uh, of ingredients that I need. It's got like a recipe guide. It tells me how to do everything. And it makes me feel like a pro because now all of a sudden I can cook all these, all these like great meals that I would have never been able to cook before. Um, and, and it's just delivered straight to my door. And it alleviates the other issue that, that I used to really struggle with is like, what do I cook? Okay, and then I would like sit, in, you know, sit on my phone for sort of 10 to 15 minutes on Cole's, um, the Cole's recipe site trying to figure out what to cook. And then I would be like, okay, right, I'm going to go buy all this stuff, buy all these things for the recipe. And then I would inevitably get to Coles and I'd have that thought, do we have this already? Like is, and you know when you're like, I, I, I don't know if we do or I'm not, or I think we do. And whichever way you gamble, you always lose, right? If you thought you didn't have it, you have it. If you didn't think you have it, you have it. And then the other thing that you kind of avoid or that I find I avoid with HelloFresh is like the line game that you play when you're at Coles. You know the line game where you're at Coles or Woolies and you kind of got there with your little basket and you're like, okay, do I go through self-serve or do I go through this really short line or do I go through this really long? And you're kind of like there and it's sort of like, and then other people start to kind of line up and look and you're sort of like, I've got to make a decision really, really quick and then you're pressured and you always make the wrong one, right? You go to the shortest line possible and it's the slowest cashier in the world. It's like, it's like a learner and you're like, I know this is not your fault, but come on, like 30 people have gone through and you're still trying to like scan three cans of peaches. Like, come on, I could do this. And it's, and it's just kind of like, it makes my life so much easier. And, and, and I just, I kind of like it a whole lot because it makes me sort of feel like I know what I'm doing. But then I sort of started to think, you know, like if, if I didn't want to, I could never, never go to a shopping center again and have to buy groceries. Like, if I didn't want to, like, I could, just, I could just go to the Coles or the Woolies Click and Collect. Like, if I didn't want to have to deal with lines, if I didn't want to have to deal with that pressure, I could never leave my home and just have everything kind of delivered on our door. And it, it got me thinking of to the way, just the way that our world has kind of shifted and changed in the last 30 to 40 years. Because we, we all sort of have this consumer mentality, right? But it, I feel like in the last 30 to 40 years, this whole idea of a consumer culture has just exploded or gone to another level, right? You think about it. Um, you don't have to watch shows that you don't want to when you don't want to anymore. With Netflix, like you can watch whatever you want, whenever you want. If you want to go to the bathroom, you, don't, you, you hit pause. 
And you say, hey, this will hold up. If you want to like get a little sneaky and, and maybe do like the whole cheating on your spouse while you watch the Netflix show that you agreed to watch together, um, you want to watch it a little bit earlier, you can do it and then rewind it back to the start of the episode so it looks like, hey, we're going to watch this together for the first time. And then his, with, with these things, if, if you don't like Netflix, then you can get Stan or you can get Amazon Prime or you can get the new Disney Plus one that they're, that they're coming out with now. If you don't like it, you can, um, you can mix and match. In fact, Netflix now, after you kind of, you can create your own personalized accounts so that when you start to watch shows that you like, it bumps the shows or similar shows that you might like to the top of the list so you don't even have to see the shows that you would not like, right? And then it, I was like, this kind of starts to, to fill over into all other areas of our culture. Like, I don't have to wait. If I want a book on my Kindle, I don't have to go to the bookstore to get it. I don't have to order it online and wait seven to ten days for postage. I can just go on Amazon, click send to my Kindle and pick it up and it's right there for me. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying any of these things are bad, by the way, because these things are incredibly convenient. But we see the way this kind of consumer culture, it even sort of has flown over into the way we approach relationships. Now, I'm going to assume that all of you are past this, so you've probably, you've definitely never used this right, but maybe you've heard of this thing called Tinder. Maybe you've heard of the Tinder game. And Tinder really now, it kind of has, has defined or broken relationships down into swipe left or swipe right. Left, no. Right, yes. Right? That, it's, it's just that easy. You look at the picture, you, you look at the, cute, the, at the bio or the tagline, and do I, do I want to engage? Is this, is this something I want to consume? All right. And if both of you say uh, swipe right, then you kind of match, and then you can start talking. You can start engaging in conversation, and, and then you kind of get, have to kind of clarify right from the start what kind of relationship you want. Is it no strings attached? Is it just for a fling? Is it kind of a summer romance? Is it sort of serious? Is it casual dating? Is it like long-term commitment? Is it like possibility with a long-term commitment with marriage? Like are we moving in together? And there's all these kind of buttons that you just got to have, have these conversations and pick. And so now even in relationships, it's like, hey, I just want to use this other person as a vehicle or as a tool to get my needs met and to fulfill what I want out of a relationship. And if this other person doesn't want what I want, then like hit the eject button, game over. And this, this consumer culture has also found its way over into church world. Now, if you're, if you're not a, uh, a church person, chances are you might not, like, maybe you've heard this term, but you, uh, maybe some of you would actually be surprised that Christians use this term. Christians use this term, church shopping. It's literally this, this full term called church shopping. And you can tell someone's church shopping if they say phrases like this, like, we're just looking for a church that meets our needs. Right? And they walk into these churches and they've, they've kind of got like a little checklist. It's like when you go to Coles and you've got the grocery list and you want to tick them off, tick them off, tick them off. The, the, the same is true for Christians when they go to churches. Oh, did, the, is, did they play my favorite song? Was the music too loud? Or was it too soft? Was it electro enough? Was it like 80s enough for me? Was it modern enough for me? What was the communicator like? Did he like... Did he wear a robe? Because I won't go to a church if he doesn't wear a robe. Did he wear a snapback? Because I won't go to churches where people speak in snapbacks. Like, did he, like, what kind of stuff did he wear? Shirt in, shirt out. Was it a male? Was it a female? All these kind of questions. What was the kids' ministry like? What was the youth ministry like? What was the coffee like? Was it single origin? Did they put milk in it? Was it, a, was it like one of those instant coffee deals? Because like, it's Sunday morning. I can't have instant. I need my single origin. What were the donuts like? Were they glazed? Were they semi-glazed? Were they powdered? Like, what, was, what is going on? And then, and then these Christians, they kind of like go through it in their list. 
And if, it, if, if something mi- uh, misses a mark, if something doesn't quite line up, well, it's like, well, it didn't meet our needs. Sorry, we're out. Now, uh, let me just clarify it because this could be a little confusing. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to a church that you love. You should go to a church that you love if you're a follower of Jesus. But I just, I just want to clarify something for us. Because I think as Christians, and for those of you in this room who would consider yourself a Christian, this is a very dangerous way to think about church. And we, when we let that consumer culture kind of bleed over and flow over into the way we approach and the way we think about church, it becomes very, very dangerous. And here's why. The church does not exist to meet your needs. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, the church does not exist to meet your needs. I love that sound on a tin roof, hey. And in fact, if you're not a follower of Jesus or you resist church, maybe one of the reasons that you push back or that you resist is because you walked into a place where a whole bunch of followers of Jesus had designed something to meet their needs. And in doing so, they said some things and they did some things that made you feel uncomfortable and almost made you feel like, I have to be a church person to go here in the first place. I need to know all the uh, rules. I need to know all the things. And I have to almost kind of be a church person. And so I can't even explore questions of spirituality. I can't even explore questions of faith until I have it all together. And so this kind of um, thinking is maybe one of the reasons that you resist church or you find church resistible in the first place. And so the second building block that we're going to talk about today and that we're going to unpack for a little bit is, is something that we have here at Beyond that kind of prevents us from embracing that consumer mentality, that embraces us from making church a place that meets our needs and makes it unnecessarily resistible to other people. And the, the value is this, or the building block is this, that we are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. The church does not exist for us We are the church and we exist for the world. I'll say it again. We're spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. The church doesn't exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. Now, perhaps some of you are kind of maybe a little bit confused or a little bit unsure about like this language, like we are the church and we exist for the world. Because whenever you've heard church spoken about, it's always been referred to as a location or a place or an it. So it shouldn't read something like it, uh, you know, uh, like it is the church and it exists for the world. Like it, it, it's a location that we come to and that we, we gather around, right? Isn't, isn't that what church is? Well the, well, the truth is, and the reason that why we use this language, we are the church and we exist for the world, is because when the, when the Jesus movement first began, it was never referred to or never talked about Church was never viewed as a physical location. Church was always referred to as a gathering of people. The church was always known as people, not a building. And maybe you're kind of sitting there like, well, hang on, like, how did it get to that point? Like, how did it get to a point where it was designed to be people and then now we talk about it like a building? And there's a whole lot of factors, but one of the main contributing factors is, um, is Emperor Constantine. Because prior to 313 AD, There was this rule that large gatherings um, of people could not own property or could not own land. 
And so when the church first began, for the first sort of 300 years of the Jesus movement, no followers of Jesus ever thought of a physical location because they were meeting in homes, they were meeting like underground, they were just meeting wherever they could um, to move the movement forward. And then Emperor Constantine comes onto the scene in 313 AD and says, hey, no, it's and kind of legalizes Christianity. And says, hey, it's not outlawed anymore. It's okay. Christians can purchase land. Christians, Christians can build buildings. And, and all that is great stuff and all that has been super beneficial for the church. But the problem is what happened is Christians began to think of church no longer as people but as a building. Oh, we've got a space. We've got a building. And it was never designed to be that way. And so today what I want to do, when I unlock this, only right thumb, I should get the left thumb going. Um, what we want to do is look at what someone who when the church first began, what they had to say to followers of Jesus about being a contributor. And, and this person writes a letter to a, a whole bunch of followers of Jesus who are gathered in this city called Rome. And um, there are a whole heap of, of different gatherings of the Jesus movement within Rome. And so this guy called Paul writes this letter that was going to be passed around all these different gatherings or churches as we would refer to them now. And he says, uh, it kind of outlines for them, hey, this is how you be a contributor. And this is how you kind of lose this mentality or, or you never get caught up in this mentality of the church being a building or a place. And this was before the church was ever a building or ever thought of as a place. And this is what Paul writes to those Christians. He says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts. And Paul will go on and he'll outline seven. Okay, but it's not an exhaustive list. It's almost like a, here's a brainstorm of seven kind of gifts that, that, um, that God's given to people. This is just kind of get the juices flowing to get you thinking. And then he adds this. He goes, I've given you these gifts for doing certain things well. For doing certain things well. In other words, you have a few gifts because there are only a few things you're really good at. If you think about it in your own life, if you were to think like, what are the things that, what are the two or three things that, I, that you're just really, really, really good at? There's probably only maybe two, three, maybe four, maybe five of you are super talented. Like in my life, there's probably only two things or three things that I'm, I would say I'm really good at. And Paul goes, hey, I've given you certain gifts, so that you, uh, different gifts so you can do a few things really well, so that you can stay in your lane, so that you don't look out and think, oh man, I've got to do everything, but you just do a few things well. And then he kind of starts to give a list of, hey, here are, here are some, uh, uh, some of the different gifts, and here's how you can use those gifts well. This is what he says. If God has given you the ability to prophesy, prophesy or teach, kind of speak out with as much faith as God has given you. And then he goes on. He says, if your gift is serving, serve, uh, serve, serving others, serve them well. A trend will start to develop here in a second. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And he says this, And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. The whole kind of thrust and the, the reason that Paul sort of talks in this way just sort of picked up. Paul goes, it's not enough just to know your gift. But if you actually want to be a contributor, you need to do something with it. It's not enough to just know, hey, I'm a really great teacher, or I'm really kind, or I'm really generous. Paul goes, no, no, no. You need to actually use it. You need to be kind. You need to be encouraging. You need to show, gl uh, gladly show kindness for 
others. And, um, and the reason that he says this, the reason that he's so big on kind of like this action point and kind of getting everyone to understand, hey, not only do you have a gift, but there's a reason for it, is this. If you're not contributing, someone is missing out. When you're not contributing and using your gift, someone is missing out. And just think about this, not in, not in a church context, but maybe, maybe in a marriage, for those of you who are married. Because right, we all go through seasons in marriages where one of you has to pick up the slack for a little bit, right? Maybe, maybe someone has a big project at work that they're finishing on and there's just a, a whole heap of stress going on. I know for me, like, like my wife is a teacher, so teacher life, like the last two weeks of term, right, it is just marking and it is crazy. So, so in those times, I have to pick up some of the slack, right? But, but here's the thing is, is in those times, it, it's okay to handle that for a little bit when you're in, that, when you're, when you're in a marriage, it's okay to sort of say, hey, I know this, this is going to be a really busy season. I know there's a few weeks where, where maybe I'll have to pick up the slack and I'll have to contribute a little bit more. But what happens when the person who picks up the slack, the other person never kind of comes back into the marriage, never picks up the things that they, they needed a break from? All of a sudden, someone starts to miss out. The person who's giving so much of themselves starts to miss out because the other person in that relationship isn't contributing. Maybe isn't coming home early to spend time, isn't helping with the cooking, isn't helping with the kids, isn't investing in date night because they, they always have to have that conference call for that meeting on date night. So you said, hey, you know what, I'll give that up for three weeks, I'll give that up for the time you need. But then all of a sudden when it was over, they never kind of picked that slack up again. And, what ha- and this is kind of, you start to feel the effects of when someone doesn't contribute. And you start to feel the effects more when kids are involved in the marriage. And all of a sudden, not only is there disconnect between mum and dad, but there's disconnect between mum and dad and the kids. And those tensions start to get frayed. And the same is true when it comes to the church. Uh, If you just sit back and you go, hey, I just want to consume, 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 consume. If I want to make this all about me, then other people miss out. The community misses out. People who don't know Jesus miss out. And, and we don't want that to happen here. And I know and I get it that maybe some of you are sitting there and you're kind of thinking, well, Chris, like, I don't even know what my gift is. Like, no one's ever kind of talked about this way. No one's ever, like, told me that I have a gift. Like, no one's ever told me things that I'm good at. I just kind of do stuff and it just works out. Like, how would I go about finding that out? And so I want to give you like one little bit of homework and then one application this week. One little bit of homework, one application. And the little bit of homework I want want to give you is to get somebody who knows you well or a few somebodies who know you really, really well and ask them this question. What do I do that seems easy for you but is difficult for me? What do I do that seems easy for you, uh, uh, easy for me but is difficult for you? Because chances are, when, when you are in relationships with people, when you're hanging out, maybe when you're at work, when you're at home, there are people who look in on the way you go about doing things and they go, wow, it just, it just seems so easy for them. It just seems so natural for them. But for you, you don't, you don't see it that way. Because, you know, you have to work at it and you've put time into it. But for others looking in, they're like, wow, that, that just seems so easy for them. And the reason is because it would be difficult for them because it's not their gift, right? My, my wife, I see this like all the time when we have friends over. Because my wife is just an incre- incredible caterer. 
She just loves thinking about other people, right? We will have like 17 different types of cheeses and six types of olives and we'll have like breadsticks and there'll be like, like the, I don't even know what it is, but it's kind of like where you get the oil and then you put the, like the, the vinegar or something in there. Not vinegar, but I don't even know. You get the oil and then you kind of like dip the bread in there. I don't even know these things. That's how good she is. It's kind of like you dip it in there and you're like, oh, this is fantastic. And then there's like the cob loaf and there's all these things going on. And that's before we even get to like the entree or, or like the main course. Like there, there have been times, I kid you not, where, where I've had to move chairs in our house so that every chair is in a position so that no one will be left out of the conversation. So that no matter where you're sitting in the room, you can feel like you're a part of our house. Now, I look at that and I'm like, wow, that is so easy for you. Because it's difficult for me. Like, my idea of like, being hospitable is like, yeah, there's some chips on the table and there's some beers in the fridge and... Oh, there might be some Coke in there. I can't really remember when the last time we bought something was. Oh, glasses, yeah, up in the top corner there. Get them yourself. You should know, right? And, and I look at the way that my wife does things. I'm like, that is so easy for you because it seems difficult for me. But if you were to ask her, she probably wouldn't pick up on that because that's just something she naturally does. And the same is true for you. There's some things that you probably do naturally that others look at and they're like, wow, that looks easy for them, even though it may not feel easy. So this week, I want you to ask this question of a few people who know you well. What is it that I do that seems easy for me but looks or maybe might be difficult for you? And if you've been in church circles a while, chances are you're kind of like, okay, this is the part, right, where he's going to ask me to do something. This is the part where he's going to be like, okay, put your hand up, serve on a team, put your hand up, sign up at the back, something like that. Well, I want to let you know that I'm not going to do that. In fact, this week, and rather than ask for something from you, I want to give you something. Now, it's not a lot, but we'll, um, we'll pass out a few of these. There'll be a, a one box here and one box here. Can you guys just pass them, pass them back? And I just want you to grab one of these little building blocks. I want you to grab one of these little building blocks. They're yours. Um, hold on to them. You can do whatever you want with them after you leave. But what I want you to do with, uh, with these building blocks this week is I, I really want you to just... Put it in your, um, in your purse, put it in your handbag, put it in your pocket, put it in your wallet if you've got a massive wallet. Um, just take it with you wherever you go this week. And the reason I want you to take it with you wherever you go this week is because this building block kind of symbolizes or is like your gift. If you have the gift of encouragement, if you have the gift of generosity or the gift of kindness, whatever gift that you have, even if you don't know what it is, when you go through life, your gift goes with you. There is nowhere you go, no room you walk into, no conversation you have, no relationship you have where your gift is not going with you. And so I want you to take this with you everywhere you go this week. And as you go, I want you to ask this question this week. What is your gift or what is my gift building? As you, as you go through the week, ask yourself, you know, you go like, okay, well, I've got this gift. What is it, what is it building? Is it, is it sitting dormant? Is it just go, you know, well, I got this gift, but I, I just don't ever kind of use it. It's just like there. It's just a thing that I have, but it, it, just, it just sits dormant all the time. Or, or maybe for you, you, what your gift is building is you. And you're like, hey, I'll, for, for my gift, the way that you use your gift, it, it's all about pointing people back to you. It's all about pointing people to say, hey, look at how good I am. Look at how cool I am. Look at all the incredible things that I can do. Maybe the reason that you use your gift, it's all about you. Sure, you might kind of put a little fluff on it and say, oh, I use it, you know, to really help people. But, but if you dig below the surface, if you really, really look, you, you don't use your gift 
For others, you use your gift for you. And your gift is building up this image that points back to you. And so I want you to, to, think, to think about how you use it. And I want you to imagine, right? Just imagine for a second what would happen if every single Jesus follower throughout Brisbane this week, just throughout Brisbane, said, you know what, I'm going to actually use my building block. I'm going to use my gift to build something bigger than me. I'm going to use my, my building block to make it not about me, but to make it more about Jesus. I'm going to use my block to break down some barriers that stand between other people and knowing Jesus. I'm going to use my building block to show kindness to others. So that in doing so, maybe they, they would think like, wow, maybe, the, maybe that there's more to this whole Jesus thing than just following a whole list of rules and following a whole bunch of, um, or going to church on a Sunday. Maybe for you, this whole idea of using your gift to be generous, if you've got that gift, is simply about saying to someone at work, hey, I'll, I'll handle that project for you. Hey, I'll, I'll give you some, some time out of my day to help you out. Maybe it's simply, hey, I'll, I'll cook you a meal for someone who's struggling at home. Maybe it's like, no worries, yeah, I'll come around and, and I'll, help you, I'll help you sort the car out. And that generosity ch- begins to change and shape the way that someone thinks about or perceives the way that followers of Jesus live in their world. Could you imagine what would happen if just for a week, every single follower of Jesus in this city did something? The good news is that if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, you don't have to wait for an invitation to use your gift. You don't have to wait for an invitation. You don't have to say, imagine what it could be like. Because you can actually say, you know what, I'm going to see what it is like. I'm going to see what it looks like when I stop making my gift all about me. When I stop letting my gift lie dormant and when I actually begin to build into something. Because could you imagine what it would look like if we in this room all began to use our gifts to build into something and you didn't have to wait for an invitation. But you could start by removing barriers right now for people who don't know Jesus. That you could start by building a community where people are loved first, regardless of what they believe or regardless of how they behave. Could you, believe, uh, you could use your block. You don't have to wait for an invitation to use your block to love people into the kingdom. You don't have to wait for an invitation to be generous and show kindness to others. And together, as a community, together, as a church, the power is in our hands to create a church that unchurched people love to attend, where every single person uses their gifts to build something bigger than themselves. Let's pray. Jesus, sometimes it's, it's really easy to kind of go through life and forget the gift that is within us, to get the gift that is just at our fingertips. Sometimes it's also really easy to kind of make this gift and, and make it all about ourselves. But the truth is, if our gift always is about us, then our life will only be about us. And there's this desire within us to want to be a part of something more, to want to be a part of something bigger, to leave an impact and to leave a mark on this world. And Lord, the only way that we're going to make a mark and leave an impact on this world is when we use our gifts to contribute to something bigger than ourselves. 
And so I pray that this week, as, as we begin to have those conversations, we begin to try and find out, hey, what is it our gift is? That we wouldn't be content just to know it, but we would want to begin to use our gift to build something, to build into someone and to build into something greater than ourselves. And that by doing that, more people would come to know you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.